Welcome to the Good Fiction Podcast. Join us as we continue with Darkest Darker Dark, Episode 3. In the realm of all things bad and the routine of our daily lives, the dentist drill is probably one of the worst, thought Mr. Marshall. The high-pitched squeal just below that of a dog whistle was tearing through his body like fingernails, screeching their way slowly down a chalkboard. The deadened jaw eliminated the pain from the root canal that was not so delicately in progress. But there was nothing even the most modern medicine could do for the bloody spit or the sound of that stupid drill. He resigned himself to allow the procedure to continue by taking his mind to another place. His thoughts went to Debbie. It had been three days since the crash. Debbie hadn't been back to school, which was understandable, but he was concerned for her. Miss Applewhite had learned that Nathan Calhoun's parents had taken legal custody of her temporarily. Marshall knew about Debbie's relationship with Nathan and that they lived across the street from each other. Debbie had been more than willing to share the problems she was having with her parents on the Nathan issue, as she put it. The media circus had started almost instantly about the possibilities of a terrorist attack. That brought news cameras to seek every angle of the story, including the school. No one was talking, though, and the press was politely asked to get lost. The poor girl hadn't even buried her parents yet. Before those final arrangements could be made, there was the matter of positive identification of the bodies. Most likely, Debbie would have to take care of that horrific task. He imagined how instantly horrible her young life had become, how she was going to have to skip the remaining years of her childhood in order to function. He began to feel more and more like he wanted to talk to her in order to see if there was anything he could do. That was ruled out, though. She probably was getting sick of people talking about how sorry they were and asking her if there was anything that they could do for her. Still a little woozy from the nitrous oxide and definitely unable to carry on a conversation due to his half-numb face, Mr. Marshall headed home. Nothing like a dentist appointment after work on a Monday to top off the day. The gauze packed in his cheek had him look like a deformed chipmunk. He had to keep checking the rearview mirror every few minutes to make sure he didn't get any more of the spit-blood mixture on his shirt. Several drops had drilled down his chin without him noticing it. Since he was getting home past his normal time, finding a parking spot close to his apartment was going to be rough. The professional types that work nine-to-five jobs had those spots nabbed before he could get there. Normally, he was home in time to park anywhere he wanted. He found a spot between a white Ford Excursion and a black Chevy Blazer. 
His new Honda Accord fit nicely between the two SUVs. It was sort of symbolic of his ways. There was this struggle to maintain somewhat of a professional image while keeping his independence. Everyone had a black or white SUV. That in itself kept him from wanting one. Still, there was a certain level of image to maintain. All he really cared about when it came to cars was something that wouldn't break down. So there he was, his blue Honda Accord, parked between Mr. and Mrs. 9 to 5. He left the papers, mistakenly thought he would be able to grade in the back seat where he'd set them after work. No way was any of that going to get done. All he could really think about was getting up the three flights of stairs to his two-bedroom apartment and assuming the position on his couch. That included something to eat if he were able and the remote in hand. Once he made it up, he started to figure out something to eat. His normal everyday chips and salsa wouldn't work. He settled on some Swiss cheese and after his long day was finally on the couch, zoning out as he pushed the button up and down checking every one of the 71 channels his cable company provided. Ah, heaven. Sort of anyway. His mouth was hurting when he saw the flashing red light on his answering machine. He didn't want to get up and listen to whoever had dared to bother him. His friends knew better when he was having yet another dental procedure. It was best to leave him alone. Then, because of this, he got curious and decided to check it out. There must be something to it, he thought, so he pulled himself up and made his way past the coffee table and the counter that separated his kitchen from the dining area where his answering machine sat atop a two-year-old yellow pages. He pushed play. There was a hang-up. He pushed play again, and there was yet another hang-up. Still, the light blinked red flashes of annoying interruption. Red, blank, red, blank. The message indicator showed that there was still one more message left. He pushed play. Mr. Marshall, it's me, Debbie. I kind of wanted to talk to you. Can you call me? She left the number and he jotted it down with a broken pencil inside of a coffee-stained circle on the yellow pages. Concerned, he picked up the cordless next to the answering machine and mouthed the numbers as he pushed them in. By the time the phone rang, he had himself back on the couch. Hello, Debbie answered. Hi, Debbie, it's Mr. Marshall. I got your message. Are you all right? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm just sick of people bothering me, you know? Just needed to talk to someone other than these people that stumble all over themselves to help me. Someone I can trust. Well, Miss Dude, I'm certainly here to talk. He felt the numbness disappearing in his cheek and jaw. Pain was starting to set in. He strained to keep Debbie from knowing how uncomfortable he really was. 
I need some help with something, she said. Okay, what's up, he asked. Mr. Marshall, I need some help in picking. Before Debbie could finish her sentence, she had to pause. It was obvious she was holding back tears. Picking out two caskets, she finished. Debbie, that's a very personal thing. Are you sure that... Yes, I'm sure, she interrupted. Marshall held for a second, giving himself time to think. That was an unusual request, especially considering the nature of their relationship. Debbie, I've been told that Nathan's parents have been granted temporary custody. Perhaps they'd like to come along with us, and they left it up to me, she interrupted. They're very nice and sweet, but I just don't... I don't know. I'd rather you come with me and Nathan. He's coming with me. I just feel closer to you than to them. Please, will you help me? Marshall hesitated. It seemed a little awkward, but there was no way he was going to say no. Of course, Debbie, I'd be glad to help you any way I can. She gave him the details and he trotted back to the yellow pages and found an unoccupied space to record them. He left the conversation at that and agreed to meet the following day. Marshall stood at the counter and replaced the cordless on its holder, all the while staring at a picture he could see from his vantage point. The picture sat on the coffee table in a brass 3x5 frame. It was really all he had left of his brief marriage, the picture of his pregnant wife, that and her memory. Three years isn't long in terms of marriages. Thinking back on it, the time seemed to fly by in minutes instead of years. The love of his life and their baby here, one day and gone the next. One minute she was coming home from the grocery store, a stupid trip to the grocery store. The next minute a drunk driver had run a red light and ended their lives she was going to have a girl. They were going to name her Summer. Five years ago, five long years ago, years that he had poured himself into teaching and going back to school to get a master's degree in education. He'd even obtained his credentials to get a job as a principal. Something about that, though, just didn't appeal to him. Not yet, anyway. He just wasn't ready to give up the teaching. Lots of things had changed since Misty and Summer had died. Really, the only thing he had left was the teaching. It was the part of his life that despite the passing of time had remained constant. Maybe that's why he was so reluctant to give it up. The things he had loved about Misty was how proud she was of his teaching. She spoke of him as if he was a brain surgeon or some other professional that made mega bucks and got mega respect to go along with it. She'd listen intently to his problems and after helping him talk through them, always agreed with the solutions they had developed. She was slick that way. That was gone now, all of it. All of it except the teaching. 
He wondered what Misty would have thought of the situation he was currently in. This poor child was calling him to go help pick out caskets for her dead parents. She'd want him to help. He knew that she would the more he stared at her picture. He walked back over to the couch and turned the picture face down, gently and setting it down as if it would shatter into a billion pieces if there were any force at all, it lay face down on the coffee table, its cardboard stand standing straight up from its position in the back of the frame. Sometimes that picture was just too much. Mr. Marshall kept his dirty little secret under the couch. A tray from Sonic with a four-finger bag of weed, a brass and wood two-hitter pipe, and a fresh supply of peppermint Tic Tacs. He pinched off a bud and rustled it with the thumb and forefinger. The primo weed fell onto the tray. He used his old ID from Syracuse where he had gotten his master's degree to clean the small pile of bliss. To heck with those pain pills, what he needed was a couple of good hits. Besides, he'd gotten to a point where he couldn't sleep without it anyway. He loaded the bowl and used his favorite black bick to light up. Something about the color black, it fit the mood. Breathing deeply, held the sweet hit in as long as he could, then released the gray stream of smoke. It worked quickly. Good. One more time. That's it. Sit back and enjoy. It wasn't the high as much as the escape he loved. No thoughts of Misty could hurt him now. No thoughts of how it would have been to raise Summer could hurt him now. No thoughts of going to a funeral home with Debbie to pick out caskets for her parents could hurt him either. Just like that song on Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon, his hands felt just like two balloons. In fact, that sounded good. Some good music. It always seemed to add to the effect. What would it be? Some old Van Halen? Some cheap trick? No, too happy. That wasn't the mood for the given situation. Maybe something a little newer. Not new, just newer than Van Halen. Jump a couple of decades. Nirvana? Yeah, that was it. A Nirvana kind of mood. He always smiled about how his students would react if they knew about his inclination to get stoned and hear Kurt Cobain singing Smells Like Teen Spirit. That's not to say that he hadn't been found out. There had been a few students over the years that have figured it out. They were smart, very smart. In all, he'd guessed maybe 10, but wasn't really sure. They all didn't stick in his memory, except for their faces, maybe. Even though those students were very, very rare, they were easy to spot. A joke that went over everyone's head except for that one student whose eyes sparkled with the realization they were growing up. Able to figure an adult out, especially a teacher, must have been a very moving experience. It showed in their faces. It reflected in their near-perfect essays. The remaining impact being felt by their visits two or three years later was always the big one, though. 
They came back as if to say, I got it. All of those students went on to be extremely successful in school and later college. They understood what he was trying to say to them. It wasn't the dates or the facts or the names or the places. That was really beside the point. They understood the why. They understood the importance of asking the question and used Mr. Miller's technique of organizational skills and writing skills to locate the answer and turn it into something meaningful. Debbie was one of those students. She got it, the unspoken part of Mr. Miller's class that was left out there for only the brightest to grab onto. The problem was that students like Debbie got it. They were also able to see what made Miller tick. They could see behind the dude in jeans who taught history. He was sure Debbie had probably figured out he was a stoner. Good. He didn't like that part about what he was doing. Scared that students like Debbie would think that this was a world where you could have your cake and eat it too, he often thought about quitting smoking weed. Thinking about it and doing it are two different things, though. Guilt-ridden and often paranoid about it, he just didn't want to give it up yet. The need to escape just was stronger than the guilt. Nirvana's in vitro was already in the seven-disc changer, and a couple of quick punches on the remote had the band jamming in no time. He floated with it and decided another bowl was in order. So he prepared another pinch of what was turning out to be some really good homegrown and lit it up again. He'd have to buy from that same dude next time. Good weed, he thought, holding in the smoke as long as his lungs could take it. Something about weed and Nirvana just went well together. How could someone like that Cobain kid take his own life, he thought as he finished the second hit. He had everything, money, fame, good weed even. Then he thought about the painter Rothko, who, after declaring that everything that could possibly be done in art had been done, all except for one thing, his last painting was simply a blank white canvas with no frame. Perfection, declared Rothko. Then he killed himself. For a painter, there was no longer any reason to live. This was something he could relate to. It was actually something he had thought about. Actually, often. What was there really to live for anyway? He would often ask himself out loud. He even planned it out a couple of times, but couldn't go through with it. This didn't mean he'd ruled it out, though. It was still something that he had thought about. Not every day, but a lot of days. Some days were darker than others. Today wasn't the darkest of days. He needed to help Debbie, and he wanted to do that. But maybe after that. Thank you for listening. Join us next time as we continue with Darkest, Darker, Dark. I'm Rodney Mathers. Goodbye for now.